0: Welcome to the Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. There are just 50 days to go until the inauguration of Joe Biden. Uh, but trust me, it's going to be a rocky road. I'm not sure that it's dawned on Republicans yet that there's really no exit strategy here. He's not giving up on this. And if anything, the, the, the crazy is getting worse. We're, we're at the the president is actually retweeting someone with the name Cat Turd about voting fraud. This is the stage we are at here in trutherism. Cat Turd uh, apparently tweeted out, Rudy Giuliani is presenting a ton of evidence, which he's not. If you ignore or refuse to look at the mountain of evidence being presented, save your breath barking to us about there being no evidence. You can't have it both ways. So joining me on today's podcast, Amanda Carpenter, Um, I feel like we're in Groundhog Day talking about the gaslighting of America because Rudy Giuliani and all of the, the clown show, they... What's remarkable is that they have no evidence and the evidence they have is just it's it's just nuts.
1: Well, in that context, cat turd kind of makes sense. That is the legal strategy. Just dig it out of the litter box.
0: Oh yep, yeah, dig it out of the litter box. Well, I like the fact that uh, you know Sydney Powell keeps uh, filing papers that are filled with with, with typos, but also we'll say there was really something uh, suspicious about Edison County, Michigan's total. Except there is no Edison County, Michigan, and this doesn't phase anyone. You know what, what I know? Not- what? Speaking what? of
1: the cat stuff, I can't get past her animal prints. Do you notice she's always wearing animal prints of some kind? You know, I'm it's not like signal. a fashion expert or mm-hmm. a psychological expert, but when so- when a woman chooses to dress herself that way, day and and sometimes it's double. It's like mm. a cheetah sweater on top paired with leopard boots on the bottom. I'm just saying there's something going on there. Maybe maybe the cat turd thing is deeper than we think.
0: It's a signal. <laughs> maybe m- m- of, of some kind you know i was actually reading um well i was reading a tweet actually i was going to make it sound like i was reading a, a brief in the sydney powell georgia case but i wasn't actually reading it and they have a little bit of a summary of what she's alleging in georgia um, th- this is actually the dnc brief and, and it is, it's a pretty good summary of of the theory in case you haven't been been you know paying attention plaintiff's theory that's trump is that A Republican governor and a Republican secretary of state, both avowed supporters of President Trump, helped advance a massive fraud because they purchased and rushed into use voting machines made by Dominion, which is a company created exclusively to ensure election rigging so that Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez never lost another election, which thereby allowed Iran and China to manipulate the general election to ensure President-elect Biden's victory, apparently in cahoots with with Georgian election officials who forged pristine, fraudulent ballots for Biden. This, well,
1: this it sounds nutty so- when you put it like that, Charlie.
0: It sounds a little <laughs> bit implausible. Okay, so before we get into this, and I want to talk about your fantastic piece about the, the GOP is the propaganda party, because I think you had a really important insight there. But speaking of propaganda, I, 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 I want to I just want to spend just a moment with Lou Dobbs who, for some reason, is still on the air.
1: If we must. Well, I, I actually <laughs> We must. <laughs> have, I, we,
0: we, we must, because I, I do have something. I have a couple things to say about this. But Lou Dobbs is getting himself really, really worked out. For people who think that we'll just take a deep breath and let Donald Trump work through his feelings and everything is going to be okay. No, folks, this is ramping up. If anything, this is getting worse and worse and worse. President has raised what $170 million off this grift, which tells you it's not going away. And listen to Lou Dobbs because Lou Dobbs is calling for something. I'm not exactly sure what he's calling for when he talks about drastic action. But let's play Lou Dobbs uh, from last night.
2: Let me be straightforward with you. I had a damn sight rather have Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani on the case uh, than Christopher Ray. Uh, And the fools, the corrupt fools that lead the FBI any day. Uh, I wish it were otherwise, but the American people understand what we now are up against in this country. Uh, And as I said at the uh, outside of the broadcast, Sydney, this is no longer about just voter fraud or electoral fraud. This is something much bigger. And this president has to take, I believe, drastic action, dramatic action, To make certain that the integrity of this election uh, is understood, or lack of it, the crimes that have been committed against him and the American people. And if the Justice Department doesn't want to do it, if the FBI cannot do it, uh, then we have to find other resources within the federal government. We've got to rise above this because Uh, the nation itself, this is an assault on the core of a democracy, any democracy, Our, our ability To cast a secret ballot. Uh, Your thoughts, Sydney, uh, as we wrap up here. Uh, That's exactly right, Lou. It affects the bedrock of our Democratic Republic. It can't be allowed to stand. And frankly, I'm about to think the entire FBI and the entire Department of Justice need to be hosed out with Clorox and fire hoses.
0: The entire FBI. Well, we got Clorox back here. So when I was a kid, there was this song that I used to play all the time. This came to mind; it just, it just popped into my head. This one. They're coming to take me away, haha! They're coming to take me away, ho ho! Hee hee! Haha! To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be
2: happy to see those
0: nice
1: young men in their clean white coats. And they're coming to take me. <laughs> oh, my God, Charlie. What did you listen to as a kid?
0: <laughs> stuff like this. There, uh, of a Why? certain age, people will remember that song because that was, that was a classic. But can I just say something in defense of, of Lou Dobbs?
1: Oh, Unla- please. Un- I want to un- hear this. Those, uh,
0: unlike some of the, the cynical grifters you know, out mm. there who you know, know what's going on and who are just playing along because they think it's their main chance. You know, and, and Lou Dobbs genuinely believes all of this stuff. See, he believes it. Now he may be crazy, but he's sincere. And speaking of internal logic, if you do believe that the election has been stolen, you should be really, really upset and be calling for drastic action. So you're watching the guy there and go, This is a true believer. I mean, I don't I don't know what I mean. Sean Hannity's as dumb as a box of rocks. I don't know what he believes or does, but, but you look at Lou Dobbs and he believes this stuff.
1: Yeah. I hope he believes it so much. He hires Sidney Powell to negotiate his next contract with Fox. I'm sure that'll work out great, uh, but you're right. In you know, I, I, I don't know if he believes it. I don't know if I share that with you, but what I know from watching him is that he is personally invested in Trump and Trumpism clearly. And so is Sean Hannity, like whether they're, they're actually true believers and true lovers of Trump. I, I don't know, but they're invested in a degree I don't think we've seen media personalities be in a sitting politician, which sort of was my thinking behind the piece that I wrote for The Bulwark about how the Republican Party, it's not an institutional party where there's elites like Mitch McConnell calling the shots and setting the strategy day to day and saying this is what the message and policy will be. The current Republican Party, as represented by Trump, is a media-run entity. And mm-hmm. that's what made me think of – there's this picture floating around the internet. It has a fancy name that I'll screw up. But it's known as the tongue-eating louse. <laughs> it's disgusting. The so what happens louse. is that there's a, a fish. It can be a clownfish. I think it can be a lot of different kind of fish. This, and is this, this little...
0: works on so many levels, doesn't I it? I know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so this parasite enters through the gills, and then it eventually works its way to the tongue – It attaches to the tongue, eats the tongue of the fish which is still living, and then becomes the tongue. So they're one and forever for the rest of the fish's life. It's got this tongue-eating louse inside its mouth, taking its first bite of food and living within the organism, running it. You know, giving it life. Of a metaphor,
0: this metaphor, but it's science. It's not just a metaphor. It's science.
1: Yeah. But when I saw that picture, I saw, you know, these fringy, low level media parasites like a Sean Hannity, a Lou Dobbs, OAN, who saw an opportunity to go inside Trump's Republican Party and run it. And that's exactly what's happening. I mean, Donald Trump has always taken guidance and pandered to the likes of Fox news because he sees their rating strength as a strength of his own and they are one now. And you know, every Charlie you've been on MSNBC, I've been on CNN. Mm-hmm. How many times do you get the question? Why don't Republicans stand up to Donald Trump? Where mm-hmm. is Mitch McConnell? And I'm just like, he's irrelevant. He doesn't do anything but confirm nominees, which we've talked about. The people who set the agenda for the party are this, Are these media parasites at this point? And because the top Republicans don't understand the base, they just take a back seat. And so they are just driving. They're inside the mouth of the party, calling the shots, vetting the candidates, doing all the institutional work. And until we realize that's what's going on, nobody's ever going to get it.
0: This is so crucial. And, and for, for years and years and years, I would listen to people, you know, talk about how, uh, well, you know, the people in the conservative media, they get their talking points from the Republican National <laughs> Committee. No, 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 no. It hasn't the been that way. way for a very, very long time. It's the other way around. They are the id, they are the brain, they are the the the, the shock troops of the conservative movement right now, you know, and I, one of the early guys who understood that Trump, Trump really was the first, you know, talk radio candidate, you know, first time mm-hmm. candidate, long time listener type thing, where in order to understand what he was concerned about or the buttons he was pushing, just sort of imagine a conservative talk show with with, with no sense of, of ethics or really principle. And he absorbed that that ethos. But he was taking their cues from them. So you watch the president's tweets and how often are they are they derivative from something that was um, on Gateway Pundit or on Fox News or more recently OAN? That what he does is he sits and he watches those things. He sees what's playing and then he goes with it. So who is calling the shots right now? Who's the parasite? Who's the clownfish? Right?
1: Oh Yeah, I, the parasites <laughs> are... The, the, I mean, it's this like the whole structure of – yeah. it's wrong to call it conservative media because no, that implies right. there's some kind of philosophy or ideology. And, and that's why, you know, I do think this evolved over time. There was a time, you know, I think when I sort of came to Washington in 2005 and there was this like moment for a few years where if you were kind of young and working in media, they allowed you to just kind of run – the, the websites for a while, right? Like print was always first. And so these people that were young and were willing to go digital could do whatever they wanted online. And during that time, there were a lot of young Republican bloggers who really looked to the RNC to farm them out scoops. Like I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, people would shop things to me. Sometimes I'd take it and see if I could do something with it. Sometimes not. But that's how the early conservative blogger internet worked. And bloggers would get upset if, you know, the RNC wasn't giving them material. And how dare they give scoops to the New York Times and not them. And this just kind of morphed over time where while, and this was for the young conservative right and the older writers, they wanted to swim alongside the clownfish. You know, like, we're just going to go in the same general direction. We're not really part of one or the other. But with Trump, you know, the, the Benny Johnsons of the world, we can name so many people. Mm-hmm. Charlie Kirk, people harness this media to go inside the party and wield power. And and that is what has been different with the right-of-center media with Trump in a way that's never been. And I, I it, aside from the prevalence of conspiracies, which plays into it, I do think that's the most under-recognized story of the Trump era about can, how the conservative media and the mm official Republican Party came together as one.
0: No, this is, this is uh, you're, you're, you're dead on here. Let me just read a couple of paragraphs from your piece yesterday, from the bulwark. Knowing this dynamic within the GOP, it's no wonder that to name just one ambitious politician, Senator Ted Cruz has adopted the posture of an online Twitter troll instead of the constitutional scholar turned statesman of the most Republican of the big states. One doesn't amass a rabid grassroots following, by passing bipartisan legislation, delivering on constituent services, or even acting to protect the homeland during a pandemic. The demands of leading and governing in the public interest have never meshed well with the demands of winning and keeping office, but they have never before been so contradictory propaganda party, and this is what you're describing it, the propaganda party rules dictate that owning the libs and generating likes, retweets, and reactions online are the key to success. In the absence of any policy platform, a new party operating philosophy has emerged among politicians and media figures alike, present Trump-friendly figures in the best light possible and depict anyone who stands in their way as some variation of a socialist child-eating Satan worshiper. And that really is the formula here, and they're stuck with it. So, when you, you know, when people ask the question, well, when is Mitch McConnell going to stand up? When is he going to do something about this? He's not in charge anymore. Mm -mm. This is not the way things are going, which does raise the question why Brian Kemp in Georgia and Doug Ducey in Arizona have actually bucked the tide. How's that going to go?
1: Well, I think there's somewhat of a difference when you look to these governors and certain secretaries of states they have they're bound by the law to certify these elections right like this this is where the reality kind of kicks in and republicans can't escape it anymore right where they where they're bound by law to do things and they face legal consequence potentially if they don't um You know, is Brian Kemp going to risk not certifying the election for Trump? I mean, that just has a cascade of issues. And if you listen to Raffensberger, he couldn't even, he doesn't even have the authority to do so. And so I think the further out that people get from his reach and the more duty they actually have as bound by law, that makes it a lot easier and a lot more obvious. And you don't have to play these games. And the rubber will hit the road on this for Senate Republicans w- when these elections are certified by Congress. And that's pretty clearly the strategy right now, right? They First, it was, oh, the president deserves his day in court. And now, Roy Blunt, who's a member of leadership team, was on State of the Union on Sunday saying, well, he's not the vice pre- president elect until Congress certifies him as the. Uh, president-elect. And so they're just looking for these other legal boundaries to save them from doing the hard but thing.
0: No, nothing is going to save them because Trump is never, basically Trump can't get off the tiger himself. I mean, he's created this, right? I mean, there's no way for him to pivot, given the fact that everybody is going in the other direction. I mean, there's a lot about Donald Trump that he's, he's following his own people, you know, as opposed to leading them. And this is one of those where you're not able to turn it off. So, for example, in Georgia, he's going down to, you know, campaign for the Senate candidates in Georgia, but he started the civil war among Republicans in Georgia. He's starting a civil war with Republicans in Arizona. And I'm telling you, I want people to mark on their calendars. People think it's going to be over when the Electoral College votes. No, people think it's going to be over when you have a joint session of Congress on January 6th and they certify the election. Um, There's a piece in Politico, and and, uh, I've been talking about this now for a month. Uh, On January 6th, you're going to have somebody stand up and will challenge in Congress And we'll challenge some of the electoral votes and there will be a debate and there will be a vote. And that will be a litmus test for Trumpian loyalty for a very long time. And so this is the price that that a Republican that doesn't buy into the trutherism that this was stolen is going to be seen as a rhino in Trump world. So if Mitch McConnell figured there was going to be some moment that was going to happen where it was going to be safe, I think he's going to be very, very disappointed and the dynamic that you describe in this article is the reason why this this uh, this propaganda party is never going to let this go. And it doesn't matter whether there's any evidence. It's just, you know, anecdotes, substitutes for data. And even if you don't have an anecdote, you have belief, which is, well, Trump had to win because he just had to win because there's no way that you would lose to a big loser like Joe Biden. I mean, a lot of the commentary is about that level.
1: Yeah. And can we stay with the Mitch McConnell calculation here? Because there's just, I call it the myth of McConnell, this belief among a lot of smart reporters that, you know, McConnell is this master tactician, blah, blah, blah. He's just waiting it out. He just constantly waits it out. And if there's ever the ability not to act, he will choose the reason not to act. But why it's important and misguided in this case, Charlie, is that There are a lot of Republicans, and you can see it from what John Cornyn is doing and other people and how they're posturing about the nominees. They think that once Joe Biden is president, it's all just going to go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. It's all going to go back. They can just fall into their postures of opposing nominees when they want, just going back to life as it used to be before Trump. And there's no going back. That is just... The, the most misguided thing, that if you just shut your eyes and screw them shut and wait it out until Donald Trump is out of the White House, it's over. No, Donald Trump is probably going to announce his re-election campaign on the same day that Joe Biden is inaugurated inaugurated president. Like, I would just expect that. He's not going to go, he's going to say this isn't over, four more years. And the Laura Trumps of the world who've been saying that Donald Trump is going to have another four more years will just go seamlessly into the re-election campaign, whether it's serious or not, uh, whether it's he actually wants to be president again, or he just wants to keep a lock and control on the Republican field to monetize it for whatever use he has. That's where this is going. And it's all because People think if they screw their eyes up to Trump and Trumpism, eventually he'll do himself in and go away. That has never been the case. It never will be the case. And so I fear we're just setting ourselves up for not only the litmus test that you uh, laid out when it comes to Congress and standing up and having a debate, but a litmus test literally on inauguration day of which ceremony will you go oh, to? Oh,
0: absolutely. No, I, I think that's going to happen too. I think you're right about that. You, you think that they'll, they'll have dueling events on January 20th? Why not? Yeah. Why
1: not? If you wanted to counter, pro, counter program it and force Fox News and all your media people to make a choice in which event you should cover. Yeah. I, I, I almost think it's the obvious move um, when you think how Donald Trump... Goes about things and the pressure that he's under to attend that swearing-in ceremony and host those events for the vice for President Biden, he doesn't want to do that.
2: And
1: (laughs) the way to avoid ever acknowledging that you lost is saying that you are running again for more years.
0: So, we were so naive when we thought the worst case scenario was the president refusing to show up at the inauguration. In fact, it's going to be way worse than that he's going to have his own counter inauguration you know okay so here's my 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 optimistic and I don't necessarily believe this, but what would be a better case scenario is that is that you know Trump and his folks get locked into a sort of a QAnon conspiracy theory the election was stolen, but that mainstream Republicans like Doug Ducey even and even Governor Kemp from from Georgia move on and say no this is not true so that what happens is that the Trumpists become more isolated from the rest of the party. That's my optimistic take, but your description of the way in which the the, the right wing has now become kind of the you know, has been taken over by the parasite of the propaganda party means that's not likely to happen. So talk about this dynamic though. What happens with Fox News and OAN and Newsmax? I mean, Newsmax's, you know, CEO Chris Ruddy straight up saying in the New York in the New Yorker that this is great for him that he's just doing great, you know, that, that, that they're going to they're going to ride this horse as long as they possibly can. They're going to push all the conspiracy theories. They have no ethical journalistic limits to what they're willing to say. So how,
1: do, yeah, how clearly we're to talk do, about do, what Tim Miller, Joe DeGeneva saying on Newsmax yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, kill, kill the guy, you know,
1: yeah, our, it, you know, our colleague. And I don't even think he was working on a story watching Newsmax. Uh, to see what's going on. And I don't even know how long Tim had to watch it to find that crazy craziness yeah. come out. Um, and so that's, that's the programming. That's what Newsmax says is good for business. Correct. I mean, that's yeah. what they choose to air. I haven't seen Chris Ruddy come out and say, Oh, we, this is terrible. We're never having the president's lawyer on again. He's probably going to invite him back for more.
0: Do you know that I was on a commission once with Chris Ruddy?
1: No, for Believe- what?
0: The- <laughs> this was the Knight commission on restoring trust in media and democracy. (laughs) But but here's the deal. Chris Ruddy did not show up for a single meeting ever. Not one. So anyway, so, but, but where, so where does the audience go? Because the you know OAN and Newsmax are figuring we're just going to serve up you know whatever Fox serves we're going to serve up red or meat, and and we're going to pivot and say that that Fox News and CNN are basically they're the fake news we're the only people that are going to give you the real story. Mm-hmm. Well, that could work with at least some of the base.
1: Yeah, you know I I'm sort of conflicted about it's not where the Fox audience will go per se. It's just the Fox audience now has more choices. And clearly the pressure from Newsmax OANN is forcing Fox to consider some programming choices. And I do think the president's interview with Maria Bartiromo was evidence of that over the weekend. Um, Maria has her weekend show. You know, I listen to it a lot if I'm driving back from doing a, uh, CNN show on Sundays. That's the only reason I catch it. But I mean, for the past few years, she's always had like Lindsey Graham and Devin Nunes. She was all in on the Russian investigation. So this is kind of her beat, like whatever Trump conspiracies are, she'll have, you know, whatever lawmakers are willing to go with it on for, onto her show to push this. So she's done this consistently. So what she did with the president wasn't surprising, but it was her posture seemed a little different. She was egging him on, like, just kind of like this frantic excitement, right? Like, tell us more. Like, when are, show us the evidence. How are you going to win? You clearly have a path for victory. Show us how. Show us how. I mean, it was-
0: This was not disgusting. an interview. Yeah. This is disgusting. form of
1: cheerleading. It was just kind of frantic. And it's just, it went on and on and on. But that wasn't her choice to do that. And that's what I keep going back to. Fox News made that decision. It was a presidential interview. Right. His first interview since the election, I believe it didn't go to Chris Wallace, didn't go to Brett Baer. It went to Maria to egg him on and give him a full 45 minutes to push his propaganda into the universe. And I I do think that was because they wanted to get that out. In in front of OAN and Newsmax, I, I think they have that pressure.
0: OK, so as you, as you describe it in your article, in the age of Trump, the former money honey has turned into a propaganda princess.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: OK, but don't, don't these people have some pride? I mean, like, OK, what is in it for her at a certain point? I mean, she's successful, right? She has a show.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do, you know, I keep saying, do people not have any pride at all?
1: Well, my point is this is what she's been doing under the radar yeah. for the last two years. Well, she but kind of her Sunday it, huh? show is on I, I think she's always been kind of the fringy programming on Fox. She's on after you know the regular Sunday morning show that gets all the you know credibility with Chris Wallace. And then she's always been on the weekend doing this. And she's always been the outlet for the Trump crazy people to come on and do the conspiracy theory stuff. Just like Lou Dobbs seems super unhinged now, but I remember when I was writing my book in 2017, he was all in on the Russia conspiracy stuff too, like literally talking about black helicopters flying around to get Donald Trump. I mean, you couldn't parody what he was doing back then. And so they've kind of, Fox has had their designated conspiracy Trump people there the whole time. But what is different now is how invested they are. in it. It's taken a mania that you kind of touched on in the beginning of the show. And I think it's because they've gone, they're so personally invested in Trump. It's not about money. It's about their reputation. It's about their future. The Trump's future is directly in line with their future, right? Like if wow. he's embarrassed and he goes down, they go down.
0: So then you have the millions of people that are watching them. What percentage of them are crazy people who are potentially going to be unhinged in their reaction to this? Because I'm I'm watching the Lou Dobbs thing and thinking this is somebody that really believes that there's treason, that really believes that we need to take desperate action. Now, Lou Dobbs is just going to, you know, rave at the at the TV set. But there's some guy somewhere. Who's going to be going, OK, if they really are, if there really is you know, a an attempt to take over my country and destroy my president, we need to take drastic action. What does that mean? Yeah, well, Th- we that's... could ask
1: Chris Krebs. He probably has some kind of private security right now. Yeah. I mean, Joe did not have a call for him to be uh, shot. Taken out and order. shot, run, yeah. And some people can say, yeah, you're joking around. But if that were me, I wouldn't take it as a joke. I would be packing up my family to leave my house for a couple weeks just to be safe. Wouldn't you?
0: Uh, Yes. And and I think that this is one of those things where, again, the people who made the calculation that we give the president some time to work through his hurt feelings made a horrifically bad calculation because. If anything, this thing, I mean, it, it, it's sort of like starting a, a small fire and then watching it into a raging forest fire. I'm, you know, there's, there's no there's no walking back on this. So the Republican Party now will be, at least for the foreseeable future, totally invested in questioning the integrity of a Democratic election. I mean, I understand that, you know, National Review is saying this is undemocratic. This is horrible. You know, the president should not be doing that. But I think that we've seen the relative influence on the right of, say, National Review versus, you know, somebody like Lou Dobbs or a, or a Money Honey um, or the other folks out there, you know, spreading this kind of misinformation. I mean, that the, the center of gravity has has shifted.
1: Well, it's a it, it, question that when people say, oh, this is damaging for the country, there might be consequences, we don't want it to happen. Well, did you vote for him? Were you telling your readers to vote for Donald Trump? I mean, it always kind of gets back to that. You can't say, vote for Trump, but somehow we'll have adults in the room that will guide him on a better path here. You just... And that's the, the fundamental problem.
0: This is the, the the among the the people I have a hard time understanding. I mean, look, the, the people who are totally, you know, into the conspiracy theories who are nuts, they're nuts. OK, then there are people who are as dumb as a box of rocks. Fine. It is the people who will look at Donald Trump, see what he is doing as reckless and dangerous and dishonest and go, yeah, but like five minutes ago, I was saying let's give him another four years in office mm-hmm. or who may. Um, over the next four years, say, yeah, we should restore him to power back in 2024. Know, I mean, th- those are the ones that are going, seriously, This this is what you think of the country. The damage is so obvious and it's not a joke. And, you know, there's a certain, you know, too cool for school uh, class of punditry out there saying, well, see, nothing bad happened. The institutions work, everything, you know, did democracy work? You know, there was no violence. There was nothing. I feel a little bit. It's like it is like the Titanic that has hit the iceberg and hasn't yet begun to sink, or we've been hit by a torpedo and the boat is still moving along and it looks fine, but below the water line is taking on, you know, a lot of damage very, very quickly. And we're not going to know how bad the damage was for a while.
1: Yeah, that line of thinking also just makes me, it makes me pretty angry, actually. I mean, I could say upset, but it makes me angry because I have to ask, have you not been paying attention? Like, oh, the institutions held, they held because of some very brave people who shouldn't have ever been in the position where they had to be so brave. And I'm thinking about the Michigan State Legislature. For example, do you remember when it was shut down because yeah. a bunch of you know gun toning militants crowded the steps and shut the legislature down. But that's still going on. Uh, people should go on Twitter and follow I think the Attorney General for the state. Um, they're, they're holding session, they're doing things now and there's more rallies coming. There's more guns coming and th- these people are going to work through crowds of people holding guns. Really, I mean, I support the second amendment. I am for that. But when you are bringing weapons to political events at a Capitol for the purpose of shutting them down, I have a problem with that.
0: Well, and when I you're when, when you bring, yeah.
1: mothers and fathers who work in the state legislature and the people that, you know, wash the floors, there should have to endure that kind of thing. That is a scary moment. And so yeah, the institutions held, but it's because people are willing to go to work in circumstances like that, even though they shouldn't have to. And so, you know, I think the people that say, Oh, yay, everything's fine, should should think about going to work under those conditions.
0: Well, and norms don't just collapse all at once. It doesn't just happen overnight. It happens with this long erosion. And what you're describing is 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 a process of intimidation. It is intended to frighten. It is intended to intimidate. Otherwise, why do you bring the guns to these particular events? I mean,
1: the, the plot against Governor Whitmer. Sorry, I mean, I could really keep going. I usually have a list in my head of these like violent, you know, potentially violent events. And just for the grace of our institutions, somebody didn't get murdered, you know.
0: No, I I completely agree about that. And and so the, and look, think about the discussion that we're having right now as a country. And the, the, it would normally be just sort of fringe crazy stuff. But the president of the United States is really pushing for legislatures in places like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Arizona and and Georgia to overturn the election and just simply send Trump electors to Congress. This is what he's left with. This is what he is talking about. The fact that we're even talking about whether the legislature should step in and declare the elections null and void and flip the states because of Completely unproven. Actually, there's no evidence whatsoever of widespread uh, a, a fraud. The fact that we're even having this discussion and that we're having it at the level that we're having it. Now, it's not going to happen because right now there are too many sane folks out there. But in the future, if this becomes the norm, if it becomes the legend, that, uh, the, that Donald Trump was stabbed in the back, that Republicans didn't stand up and do what they needed to do, which was to overturn the election. Then next time, if the election is not as close, what what is going to happen? What do we think is going to happen?
1: Yeah. And what's especially galling about this is that the state lawmakers are doing their jobs. You know, I think a lot of state legislatures are even part time. I mean, these aren't like rich people who have all the benefits and trappings that U.S. senators and other high-level people do. And they have no cover from people like Mitch McConnell. They have no institutional support. They have no backing, right? They have Fox News and everybody coming on to them like a hammer. And we're supposed to just cross our fingers and hope that, oh, two members of the canvassing board in Michigan will do the right thing. It's just ridiculous. And this is not a strong, healthy party. It is one that is just barely surviving on a shoestring.
0: So let's just move ahead just a bit. So what do you what is your sense? We've been talking about the, the delegitimizing of the Biden administration. What is your sense about um, the willingness of the Republican Senate to reject his nominees? The only serious pushback i'm really seeing is near a tandem uh although josh hawley who by the way is emerging as just one of the you know biggest fakes you know this faux populism
1: i'm glad i have to pay attention to josh hawley now i've been able to ignore him for quite some time and now i'm gonna have to like figure out what his brand of crazy is
0: i i love the i love the fact that though that he's decided that he's you know he's going to be you know the 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 uh the faux fake populist. So he's talking about Janet Yellen and uh, saying, well, he's objecting to Joe Biden naming uh, corporate liberals and warmongers. (laughs) Yeah. Corporate liberals. Because, so as as Tim Miller pointed out, we've we've, we've gone from Marxist socialists who are going to take over your community to, you know, they might name corporate liberals. Okay. Well, it, it doesn't quite resonate the same way.
1: So he's in a contest with Marco Rubio for the faux populace. That's the the thing I'm getting from this.
0: I think he might win because, you know, well, I don't know who's going to win that.
1: Well, do the Bible verses help or hurt?
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: <At> <laughs> the, I'm talking about Marco that, Rubio's posting of Bible so, verses every day.
0: So at this point, the, the the Marco Rubio Bible verses are just like trolling, right? Because, I mean, they're so like self-owns, except that he kind of must know that at some point.
1: I, I I can't figure it out. I almost think that he might choose them at random, like whatever comes up on his daily Bible app. He just decides to upload to Twitter. I, I used to have an app where you could do that, but I didn't because why would you be posting Bible verses you're supposed to meditate on, you know, to yourself for personal meaning? I don't I don't get the random posting at all. I don't understand it.
0: So yeah, the, but the, the 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 Josh Hawley, Okay, so. So th- there have been tweets, there have been statements about uh, you know Biden's folks uh, needed uh, uh, you know need, need to be more transparent. I, I love, by the way, you know Chuck Grassley saying that he can't vote for Janet Yellen for Treasury Secretary unless she releases her tax returns. This is a guy who is all in on protecting Donald Trump from being from, from having to release his tax returns. I think it was David Frum who what what is what is the quote from Mad Men um, about um. how quickly they're going to forget that trump even exists it never happened and it was it's some it's some fantastic quote about how quick it's going to be
1: you'll forget how fast nothing happened i know exactly what you're thinking of because that's that's what they want to happen they want to forget as soon as possible and go back to normal but there's
0: well here it is here it is it never happened it will shock you how much it never happened did, you just know it's going to be an absolute flip. By the way, speaking of Politico's playbook, which I wasn't going to do here, but the I don't know if you, you you saw the evening one last night. How much how much space they devoted to uh, the significance of Joe Biden's hairline fracture in his foot and what that's going to mean. You just it's like I thought you were
1: going to bring up the Christmas list invitations. That was another big story. Oh, yeah. the people that the Donald Trump White House are considering considering not. Inviting to the White House Christmas Party, among them, Susan Collins. In the spirit of Christmas. But, like, why would they want to go? Like, please leave me off that list. Please, please, please. That
0: was was my thought. If you're Ben Sasse, why the hell would you want to go to the Trump White House Christmas Party?
1: (laughs) But that's what they're thinking about. I mean, really, that's what the Trump White House staffers are busying themselves doing. Uh, We're not working on COVID relief. We're not working on transition handing off all the levers of government to the incoming president. It's literally making a list and checking it twice, finding out who's naughty or nice. And this is the one case where you most definitely want to be on the naughty list.
0: You, 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 you do. Okay. Um, I saw that you were tweeting about people complaining about magazine covers. Now this is, yeah, I do. I do want to talk about
1: this. <laughs> so this started yesterday. I think uh, Dana Perino was on the five in Kind of had some offhand comment about how, well, if you're a conservative woman, you'll never get a glowing profile in a magazine. And it's just, it kind of struck me because, of like in 2008, I've done some on and off writing for digital publications for Glamour, Cosmo, whatever, hmm. Refinery 29. And there's always been an effort. I think, among the editors to try to find, to try to do outreach to Republican women. Like, I actually know that's true. And I know that's true because Glamour did very nice profiles of women of the five and Dana Perino. <laughs> like, it's just... But there's this mythology, and I've seen it, like, among groups like uh, the Independent Women's Forum and others where, where they bring college students together, women, of course, and they literally tell them, don't expect... Good treatment from the media, especially the women's magazines, Glamour, et cetera. And it's this thing that gets ingrained. And you see this among a lot of Trumpy publications who constantly bemoan the fact that Melania, Melania, our beautiful, stylish, elegant first lady, has not been given her proper due as the cover of Vogue magazine. I mean, this comes up all the time.
0: They do have a point, though. Okay, but they do
1: have have a point. We've seen Melania. Everybody's seen all of Melania. That's why. Well, Everybody saw
0: Michelle Obama, too, and yet she was was a fashion icon, and Melania is actually a supermodel, right? So why isn't she on the cover of every magazine all the time, like, you know, circulated?
1: Because we've seen all of Melania. All of Melania. Yeah. I think that's a barrier to some of those magazines. And also, her entire staff constantly trashes magazines and the New York Times and The Washington Post and now they demand, you know glowing profiles. It's the strangest thing to me. Um, and it's just not true. I mean, it may be like Melania has not gotten her cover on Vogue. okay, Too bad, so sad. But I can list off conservative women who are my colleagues who have gotten magazine profiles that are nice. And so it's there if you want to look for it, but it just amazes me that this entitlement that the women of Fox perpetuate, who could not have more airtime, could not be presented in any more of a glossy, finished sense, think that they don't get enough media attention.
0: Didn't Megan Kelly get a big, glossy...
1: <sighs> GQ. Yeah, that was some, another... something
0: like that, you know. Back yeah, I was, actually
1: was going yeah. through the magazine profiles. I remember, I had to look that one up. I couldn't remember if it was Playboy or GQ, which tells you what kind of profile it was. Um, it was GQ. But yeah, that's, she, that's what she wanted. That's what she got.
2: Yeah, I can't get
1: I can't
0: emotionally it. I can't get emotionally engaged with people who are upset and feeling victimized because they weren't on the cover of Vogue magazine. That, I'm sorry that doesn't of of the bad no. things that can I, happen to you in life that it's 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 not tripping my I okay that's just me. I'm a women, guy. Yeah.
1: How many conservative women have written books where their whole face and body is on the cover of it? Right? Like yeah. I can think of many. I don't even need to name the names.
0: I guess it's part of it's part of the the deeper, longer sense that conservatives have convinced themselves or, or people on the right have convinced themselves that they are victims, which again explains why they've sort of huddled together into their own bubbles, into their own alternative realities, because they didn't feel that they were treated with the kind of respect and celebrity that people on the left got. So they keep telling themselves this. And, and it's really an important part of right-wing self-identity, right, is the, constantly mm-hmm. to, to have that sense of grievance that they hate you, they despise you, they're ignoring you, which is why we are here to celebrate and protect exactly. and defend you.
1: Well, you know, here's an idea. Perhaps if Newsmax wasn't airing death threats to good public servants, they would have more time to profile Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the prettiest, most perfect light.
0: Okay, I'm trying to remember this now. Newsmax was a magazine before it became a TV show, right? There was actually a magazine. Correct. Do you remember in the in the 2016 campaign something happened that didn't ever got they didn't get as much attention as it deserved? I think in terms of like how did this happen? What what's going on here? Remember they did a the Newsmax magazine. Did this whole sort of glossy R rated spread on Melania Trump. And then remember the New York Post ran pictures of her and everything? The only way that that could have happened would have been for Trump himself to have given it a green light to say, yes, in the final days of the campaign, I, you know, this would be okay for you to do these cheesecake photos of Melania. Uh, in, in a way that, that anybody else would go, okay, th- this is like, this is a little bit creepy. This is a little bit exploitative. But he saw that as a, as a plus. He saw that as something that, that would help him. And by the way, I don't think he's wrong about that. Um well, but, it would be
1: grossed out, but that's that was her business.
0: Well, right? and, and look, let's be honest also about it. That Donald Trump understands that there's a certain kind of guy that thinks that whatever's wrong with Donald Trump, you know, he's got it going because he's married to her. It's a big part of his appeal.
1: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I believe he said that in The Art of the Deal, pretty much straight up, that you could get away with anything as long as you had a beautiful woman on your arm.
0: I think, and I think he put it much more crudely than that. But yes, I I do think- I I
1: applaud myself for dressing it up.
0: No, (laughs) and I'm I'm, I'm glad you did because that would have been a creepy way to end the podcast today. (laughs) So Amanda Carpenter, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And this piece, I strongly recommend it. Uh, It really has a huge insight into the way that the uh, GOP has become the propaganda party that uh, the media parasites have taken control of the host. If you don't understand that, you do not understand the dynamics of Republican politics or what is happening, the symbiotic relationship between right wing media and right wing politicians. So, Amanda, thanks for the piece and thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow. And we'll do this all over again.